Hounicon. 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 You're listening to Hounicon Podcast, highlighting citizen Potawatomi Nation issues, members, and more. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. Just search Hounicon Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Paige Willett. During this episode, we'll hear about how CPN Health Services is dealing with the distribution of the coronavirus vaccine and learn the five love languages for kids and families. Also, a tribal member who is an author and now radio show host talks about his recently found spirituality. Citizen Potawatomi Nation Health Services received its first shipment of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine in late December to begin distribution to healthcare workers as well as other first responders and high-risk individuals. Given initial skepticism about getting vaccinated, CPNHS Chief Medical Officer Adam Vassalero thought it was prudent for his staff to see him be one of the first to get a shot, and more of them decided to be vaccinated as a result. Naturally, I led by example, and so did some of the others. That was important. Um, they wanted healthcare leaders to make sure to, 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 to take it, to lead by example. I personally, at this time, I've had, other than a sore arm for, you know, the first day, I haven't had any side effect. CPN Health Services had been preparing for vaccine distribution for months with help of the CPN Emergency Management Department and others. Dr. Vassalero said that included buying ultra-cold freezers to keep unused doses at dry ice temperatures. Doing it in the shippers, the vaccine um, shelf life is only about three weeks, you know, 15 days or something. Well, by getting the ultra-cold freezers and immediately transferring the stock that's shipped here, there, that gives us a six-month shelf life. So the answer is we're not having to rush to try to get this you know, vaccine out. The Pfizer vaccine reaches 95% efficacy approximately a week after the second dose. The two are taken 21 days apart. While there was some discussion of potential side effects, Vassalero feels confident in its safety after taking the first dose. I, I honestly, I didn't feel a thing. The tribe opted to get its doses through Indian Health Services rather than the Oklahoma State Department of Health to increase the chances of both CPN and the Potawatomi County Health Department having access to the medication for residents. Vassalero is keeping his eye on the larger community and encourages everyone who can to get vaccinated. It, you're actually creating a barrier so now that that one person doesn't spread it to 10 more people. With IHS relying on a wheel-and-spoke model for distribution, CPN's clinics are also serving as a distribution hub for several other area tribes. The two clinics began receiving the vaccine in mid-December, with an initial 2,000 doses passing through on their way to other tribal facilities and surrounding county health departments, which Vassalero is proud of. There's no better time to have confidence in somebody than when you're going to put thousands of doses on their in a freeze, ultra-cold freezer on their property. So um, the, the, the communication's been great. This whole thing, even though the, the pandemic and has been a challenge, the, there's been some opportunities, and I truly feel that the reputation of CPNHS has really um, been solidified throughout the Oklahoma City IHS system, which will have um, continued positive uh, ramifications. 
Brian Wren is the pharmacy and lab contact for Oklahoma City Area Indian Health Services. He said his agency's partnership with CPN has been a key component in IHS's vaccine rollout efforts. Uh, you have very robust capacity to store uh, ultra-cold vaccine and have been extremely engaged through the entire process to make sure that the, the maximum number uh, of, of your healthcare uh, members or healthcare team receive the vaccine that want the vaccine. CPNHS has created logistics and procedures for every step of containment and care for COVID-19 throughout the past year. Dr. Vasilero led the efforts for each step of the process, including putting together a plan for distribution of this vaccine that requires ultra-cold storage and thawing prior to injection. We've literally had to make the playbook. We've had to create so many things from scratch. And, um, but Due to that insight, we, you know, myself and as a, and the leaders in the health system, I mean, we've known what was going to happen about three weeks before everybody else did. He believes the work has been worth it. One of the things I'm really proud of is we're one of the only tribal health systems in our area that has it closed at least closed at least once, if not two or three times due to COVID exposures. We've been able to, to stay open the entire time and serve our patient population, serve the nation and its uh, containment needs. And, and I, I can't be prouder. The tribe will continue to distribute the vaccine. Dr. Vasilero's main goal remains to keep the clinics fully operational, and he reminds everyone that although vaccines are now being distributed, the next few months will require everyone remaining vigilant about social distancing, wearing face masks, and washing their hands. We've hit a turning point, and it's going to be challenging, but hope is on the way. Citizen Potawatomi Nation Health Services hosted its first drive through COVID-19 vaccination clinic on Friday, January 8th. For more information regarding vaccine distribution drives, follow CPN on Facebook at Citizen Potawatomi Nation. CPN member Randy Krutkowski describes the last few years as transformative. Living in Vermont, he never had a strong geographic connection to the tribe, but always desired to learn more. He began feeling closer to nature and his beautiful surroundings in the forest at the time his mother walked on. Ever since, he's been writing and telling others about what he feels is a new part of his life and indigenous identity. In September 2020, he released his first book, Without Reservation, about his spiritual awakening. And now he hosts a radio program, Indigenous Perspectives, as a platform for educating others. I began writing for my own self-understanding, creating something like a diary. So as, as the writing became more dense and more complicated um, and time-consuming, people would ask, so Randy, what are you doing with your time? And I would explain that I'm keeping a journal and thinking about a book. And when they would ask me for an anecdote or some glimpse of what I was writing about, I would tell them a story, usually about what I call in my book, you know, a visitation, such as the clay wolf or kukuoku, the owl, um, you know, visiting us in the middle of the night and awakening me with this sense of Randy, wake up. It's time to reflect. It's time to write. We have something to tell you. And when I when I took these experiences to my elders, they would write back rather lengthy explanations saying, oh, well, actually, you know, what you're experiencing is something that people from our culture 
experience in that kind of circumstance, such as my mother's dying. And it suddenly became, you know, very dense and very rich. And that's when I realized, you know, I, I had the makings of a book that raised the question of, well, who would I write for and why would I write? And a personal journey, private journey, suddenly teetered on the brink of becoming a public journey. Yeah, so the newest part of your public journey is your radio show, Indigenous Perspectives. How did the show come about? My publisher um, is fairly prominent in the world of, I guess you would call it spirituality publications, which is everything from history of, you know, shamanism and meditation and such things all over the world. Um, and it includes, you know, Native American spirituality. And after one particularly exciting interview, um, the host of the program called back and offered me um, a spot on her network once a month. And at first I was intimidated and then I thought, why not? Um, I'll give it a shot. And how are you liking hosting so far? It's really exciting. Um, I've been doing it in the first two shows with my wife as sort of a co-producer and co-host. She is not indigenous um, in the sense of, you know, a family connection. So she's, a, I guess, a, a bridge nearer than I am to the general public in terms of um, how to interpret um, Native American spirituality to the even broader audience. And she's able to articulate questions and concerns and um, sometimes skepticism she had early on that would make a listener feel comfortable thinking out loud or asking me such things as, so Randy, did you really have that experience or did you make it up? Or how do I properly address a Native American? It's really awkward. It's, it's nice. It's, it's creating a comfort zone, I hope, for a broader listening public. What do you hope that people get out of listening? You know, each program is an effort to, without hitting the listeners over the head with a sense of guilt, um, you know, an effort to do a reality check on what um, people in the mainstream might have as a misunderstanding or a gap in, in their understanding of who we are and how we experience our lives. In your book, Without Reservation, and your radio show, uh, you really outline your connection with nature as an Indigenous person. It's something that you've really shared and delved into in your life fairly recently. Uh, when did you start feeling the need to write and discuss it? Well, as someone who has worked professionally now for three decades internationally on environmental issues, I have been long exposed to indigenous perspectives and various intellectual perspectives and theories about how humans engage nature. But I have to say, until maybe four years ago, I always found um, people discussing their more intimate and direct encounters with nature to be something that was curiously intriguing. Um, and I was not disrespectful, but I was mildly dismissive about, you know, the reality behind it until, as I mentioned in the book, sleeping on our outdoors screened in porch for six months, I began to be awakened at night by various 
creatures in the forest from fireflies to clay wolves to owls um, and eagles. And I began to feel that there was more than just, you know, a, a mere coincidence going on. There was, you know, something literally intimately connecting and reaching out and occasionally grabbing me by the shoulders and sort of shaking me and say, Randy, you really, really need to rethink this. You know, we're your kin. We're not just objects of study. Um, and that that really was, a, as they say, a, a paradigm shift for me. Do you feel like it was something that was missing in your life before? Oh, yes. It has informed and shifted my thinking of many decades about the work I've done around the world and about the possibilities of addressing issues like climate change, really serious environmental crises. I no longer look at them as issues which can be addressed purely within a scientific frame of mind or with more reports and more research and dumping more data on the public. I'm beginning to realize that, like me, the public needs to awaken to the fact that we are engaging Mother Earth and that she is welcoming and encouraging our working together on healing. And why do you feel like a book and a radio show are great ways to connect with people. Um, I'm acting a little bit on, on faith here, but part of it, I have to say, grows out of my experience and my wife's experience being teachers. The way we bring about change is to plant small seeds, um, give them time to sprout and be nurtured, and some of them take root and are fruitful. So I, I view my radio program and my writing in the same kind of spirit and with the same kind of humility and patience of, you know, of other endeavors. No, no miracles are going to happen overnight, but we hope that um, we can contribute to change slowly over the long term. I would like to invite um, members of our you know, tribe, the CPN, um, both, you know, scattered around the country and in Oklahoma to feel comfortable interacting with me and in particular to ask me, you know, the, the hard questions. Um, I have a lot to learn and I, I'm really anxious to hear and welcome people giving their reflections on my reflections, which may need refining and clarifying and correcting. I really welcome that feedback. Visit randykurtkowski.com for more information about his work. That's K-R-I-T-K-A-U-S-K-Y. You can find Indigenous Perspectives on HealthyLife.net. New episodes stream on the fourth Thursday of every month at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. Almost 30 years ago, author Gary Chapman, who has a Ph.D. in philosophy, released a book titled The Five Love Languages. It outlines five primary ways people show and enjoy receiving affection. Acts of service, receiving gifts, quality time, physical touch, and words of affirmation. While the book was intended for couples, the series has grown to include books on children, showing appreciation for co-workers, singles, and more. 
Citizen Potawatomi Nation, Fire Lodge Children and Family Services Family Preservation Coordinator Darren Young discusses the love languages with clients frequently. While she mainly focuses on parent-child relationships, she finds they apply to many aspects of life. A good way to kind of think about this when we talk about kids or when I explain this to parents and families is that we all have a love tank. So you picture this like giant tank We pour into that tank, but not everyone kind of filters that tank the same way. So if you're in a family and you feel like you're you're an encourager, you're really good with words, you love on people that way, you might think, well, yeah, I, I tell my family I love them all the time, or I leave them notes that say that all the time, but my son or my daughter or my spouse, they don't always seem like they feel that love, well, it's very likely that you might have a primary love language of words of affirmation, but they might more so, maybe your son is more quality time, and that's what really speaks to him and fills his love tank up. Maybe your daughter is gifts, and she likes the idea of a thoughtful gift brought home to her or made for her. And so there's an expression, if you speak a different love language than someone in your life. It's almost like two ships passing each other in the middle of the night. You just don't see each other. You don't recognize that love. First one that I always think of and go to, because it's, I think, one that a lot of people resonate with is words of affirmation. So that's the idea of someone just simply likes to either hear words or see words, you know, that acknowledge them or that love on them, explain someone's love for them. So This could be um, something simple like you complimenting someone. This could be you saying, I love you. This could be you saying, I'm so proud of who you are. I'm so proud of the little boy or girl you are, you know, saying that to your kids. But something important to note is that for someone, for a child whose primary love language is words of affirmation, any and all words said to them are going to be powerful, whether that's positive or negative. So quality time. So that one is another one that I think a lot of people relate with. And that is just um, kind of spending some quality time together where your attention is focused on them. It's a time where you can connect. This can look simply like you getting on the floor and playing a game with your child. This could be you going on a walk with a friend. Um, But meeting someone where they're at, kind of joining in with them on something that they like to do. For someone who really resonates with this, it's going to need to be something a little bit more deeper or meaningful. Um, So just joining in on something that they like to do, a hobby or an activity, Um, even little kids, they'll, they'll be really quick to tell you what they like to do or what they don't like to do when it comes to games or who they want you to be in a game. Um, But To a child who really resonates with that, I mean, think of how loud that speaks when they see mom or dad or even brother or sister, like, take time out of their day or walk away from their game or their phone to sit and play with them. Another one is gifts. If a child really lights up when they're given a gift, a lot of the times it's because of the thought that's put behind it. When we want to use, like, a motivational tool with our kids— and we, we bring up the idea of gifts or rewards, we are not saying you ever have to go out and spend a bunch of money on something. One creative way you can do that is by saying, okay, I think my you know child's love language might be gifts. 
I can create these like coupons to use at home of, okay, bud, you did really good this week at school or daycare. So here's a coupon for 30 more minutes to stay up past your bedtime tonight. So we have acts of service. If this is someone's primary love language, they feel most loved either when they can go out of their way and do an act of service for someone or when someone does that for them. And as an adult, that could be when your spouse or roommate um, takes out the trash for you and lets the dog out when you normally would have had to do that. When it comes to kids, it's a really important balance to kind of draw here because obviously as a parent or as a caregiver, you're responsible for your child's needs. So you're going to be doing the basics. But as children get older, we have to kind of find the balance of still doing these acts of service because a lot of it is necessities, but also kind of transferring a little bit of independence over to them and finding that balance there. And so this is something that will look differently as like kids grow up, um, but this could be a parent taking time as soon as they get home to like fix a broken toy that their son or daughter has been really upset about. Um, This could also even be an act of service of saying like, okay, hey, buddy, we can't go out to eat tonight, but what do you want for dinner? You know, you get to pick or you can help me make dinner or something. Um, But kind of meeting them where they're at and getting their opinion, that can even be an act of service too to a little one. And then our last one is physical touch. So to be in touch via the body, that can mean a lot of different things. But when we're talking about parents and children, what we're really saying is finding ways to love on your kiddo outside of the usual like hugs and kisses and things. All kids need that. All kids need all of these areas. But physical touch, we know there's so much information out there that shows us that children need is a need for them to have loving, healthy touch. And so if you feel like your child or a person in your life This physical touch might be their primary love language. It's going kind of beyond that. And with our kids, it's going a step further and deeper. And um, it could be like snuggling together. It could be holding hands. It could be making up a cool handshake, play wrestling. It could be a lot of different things. It's giving a little bit more. If touch is that important to your child, um, they are lovey-dovey. They don't have a big bubble of personal space. They want to be lovey-dovey to everyone. It's a good clue that this is their primary love language. If your child really resonates with physical touch, that means that every touch to them is going to be powerful. It's not that we have to be perfect in every area. It's just that we have to spend some time figuring out what we are comfortable with, the areas that we want to work on. And if if it's an area we have to work on and our son or daughter or someone in our life needs that, then that's just more motivation for us to to work on it for them. Um, We all need all five of these. It can be really powerful um, in families, in relationships, in working relationships, if you have a better understanding of who those people are around you and how you can build up that relationship. Learn more about Fire Lodge Children and Family Services at cpn.news backslash Fire Lodge. It's time for learning language when the CPN Language Department joins us to teach vocabulary, songs, stories, and more. Now Language Department Director Justin Neely tells us a story about the bear, Mako. 
But know we, long ago, the bear, Mako, had a long, long tail. It was a beautiful tail, really long. He'd wrap it all the way around his body. It was real fluffy and furry, just a beautiful tail. And one day in the wintertime, Mako, the bear, was really hungry. Kietnambakade, really hungry. So he decided he wanted to go down to the creek and get some fish. Well, in the wintertime up north, a lot of times the stream will freeze completely solid, solid, frozen, solid. So he dug a hole in the ice and he started to fish. And he fished for a little while and he caught, you know, one, two, three little small fish. You know, he'd been down there for probably half the day. And after, you know, half a day of fishing, he had maybe four or five little, little fish, but just a small, small pile. Well, while he was fishing, off in the distance, we saw Wakshe the fox. Wakshe the fox was watching Mako, watching him fish down there, and just kind of looking down at him and wondering, you know, what's, what's he up to down there? And he kind of got in a little bit closer, and he said, oh, okay, he's down there fishing. He thought, hmm, okay. So he comes in closer to Mako, and he says, hey, I've got this technique for you, this way that you can catch as many fish as you want. I see here you've been fishing all afternoon. You've only caught, you know, four or five of these little small fish. And uh, I know that a big bear like you, that's not even going to be but a barely be a snack for you. You're not going to hardly be able to eat those, and, and you'll still be hungry. But I got a technique where you can have a pile of fish in no time. And the bear, you know, is sitting there kind of thinking. McCoe's thinking. He says, you know, says to himself, that's a pretty good plan. I mean, man, I, like, he's right. This is just four or five fish. This is barely a snack for me. Let me, uh, let me listen to this technique he has, and maybe I can get me a big old pile of fish and really fill my belly up. And uh, Wakshe said, okay, well, here's, here's the deal. If I give you this technique, you have to give me that small pile of fish. Now, even though that's just a small pile of fish for you, for me, that's a nice little meal. So Mako says, yeah, okay, and gives Wakshe the fish. And Wakshe is over there just kind of eating the fish and take him off the bone and toss him to the side, really just enjoying himself. And Mako is kind of sitting over there, and after a while, starts to get a little impatient, kind of starts patting his foot and... He's getting a little more impatient, and he's like, mm, can up, can up, hurry up, can up. Wakshe just finishes off that last fish and kind of picks a little bit of that fish out of his teeth, and he says, okay, Mako, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, hold on. I said, it's a real simple technique, okay? Very simple. First off, you have to dig a hole in the ice. Hey, you've already dug a hole, so this is no big deal. You've at least already done the first thing. You said, dig a hole. The next thing, you, you simply take that beautiful tail of yours and you set it in the water, and then you sit down. And that's all there is to it. And Mako's like, what? That's not a technique for catching fish. That's all you gotta do. He said, after just a few minutes, you know, give it maybe four or five minutes, you'll feel a bite on your tail. And then all you gotta do is kind of come up, take that fish off your tail, set it in your paw, sit back down, Wait for another bite, take that fish off, and before you know it, you're going to have a stack of fish. So Mako's thinking, well, I mean, <clears throat> sounds too good to be true, but hey, sounds like a great plan. I am really hungry. This, this is great. So Wakshe kind of hurriedly kind of scurries off into the woods, and Mako sees him go, and Mako just kind of sits down there on the ice and waits. Waits a little while, and then 
After a little bit, he feels a bite on his tail. He's like, okay, I got one. But he thinks, well, I'm going to wait a little bit. I'm going to get a few more fish on there. I'm not going to just keep jumping up all day. So he waits a little bit longer and he gets another bite. And then another bite. And then another bite. And then after a couple minutes, he just heals bite after bite. He's like, man, I got like 14 or 15 fish here. He's like, I'm ready to get up now. So he, and then, so he just jumps up. And his tail's gone. And that is why today the bear has a short tail. Eel. For more information and opportunities with language, including self-paced classes, visit cpn.news backslash language. You can find an online dictionary at potawatomidictionary.com, as well as videos on YouTube. There are also Potawatomi courses on the language learning app Memrise. Hanukkah Podcast is produced and brought to you by Citizen Potawatomi Nation's Public Information Department. Our director is Jennifer Bell. Don't forget to subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you find what you listen to. We're also on Facebook at Citizen Potawatomi Nation and on Twitter at C underscore P underscore N. Visit us on the web and find digital editions of the tribal newspaper at Potawatomi.org. That's P-O-T-A-W-A-T-O-M-I dot org. Until next time, I'm Paige Willett. Miigwech nikanek, bamamina. Thank you, friends. See you later.